0: of the Northern connection. My name's Emma and together with Jules, Rachel and Rebecca, we'll be sharing some great book recommendations with you for the season that's in it. So the weather has definitely turned and autumn is most certainly upon us. So we decided to focus this episode on books that have a spooky autumn vibe. Later on, we have an interview with author Amanda Mason, whose second novel, The Hiding Place, has just been published. But first, we're going to have a chat about books that we love that have that autumnal spooky feel to them. So can you kick us off, Jules, please?
1: Of course. So the first book I'm going to talk about is The Spirit Engineer by A.J. West. Um, It's only just come out, so if you um, fancy a copy, I'm sure you can get hold of one. Um, It's set in Belfast in 1914, which is two years after the Titanic sank, and people have become very obsessed with spiritualism and seances so they can contact loved ones. And it's based on the true story of Professor William Crawford who is a man of science and also a sceptic but one night some voices come to him and it places doubt in his mind and what he decides to do is um, investigate this to find out whether the spirits are really communicating with him or is the medium Kathleen playing tricks on him. Now I don't know the true story behind this book And I think for that reason, I may have got more out of it than people who do know the story. But it's very creepy and spooky, so fits the bill for what we're discussing this month. Um, And I'm not going to tell you any more about it, but just it is one of those books where the very end will bring everything into perspective. And I just think the ending is just so clever um, that that's what kind of... um, Really stands out for this book for me, so that is my first recommendation. And then the other ones that I'm going to recommend all seem to be on a bit of a um, a building theme, so a bit of a spooky house type of thing. So the first one is Magpie Lane by Lucy Atkins, and in the book, eight-year-old Felicity goes missing in the middle of the night. And her Scottish nanny, Dee, um, is questioned by the police about her disappearance. Um, and because of this, Dee starts looking back over the time that she's spent in this house, which is quite eerie and quite an ancient building. Um, and Felicity herself, the child that's gone missing, she's almost mute because she's grieving for a mother who's died. And... D is trying to question why she's become so silent, um, and D gives the police a lot of background on what she knows about the family and things that she's learned about them while she's been there. But is she telling the <coughs> truth? So it's set in Oxford and it explores Oxford's secret passages and graveyards. So it's quite creepy from that sense. It's very tense and and very spooky as well so another one that fits the bill um and another one that's about a building is uh look and Booze* by jenny fagan and i know rachel um <coughs> was going to discuss this book as well so i know that she's a bit of a fan um it's set in 1910 in uh scotland in edinburgh and it starts off with the devil's daughter rowing to the shore in a coffin. And she's sent uh, to number 10, look and Booth Close, um, to bear a child for a wealthy couple. And this leads to a curse being put on the building and its residents that last for a century. And all the residents of the building become affected in some way. And an enraged spirit world is desperate for the true horror of the building's secret to be revealed. So that just sounds spooky in itself, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and I think there's a really um, something really spooky about this idea that buildings hold secrets within their walls. And that's what I really liked about Luck and Booze. And then the final one that I'm going to recommend um, again along this haunted house theme is uh, The Turn of the Key by Ruth Ware. So um, again, it's got a bit of a nanny theme as well, a bit like Magpie Lane, but Rowan's a living nanny at um, a house called Heatherbray House in the Scottish Highlands. And it, this is not giving any, anything away, but she eventually ends up awaiting trial for murder, but maintains her innocence. Um. So I'm not going to say any more about that. But what made this book, book really spooky for me is that Heatherbray House is this really typical, traditional, old Scottish manor type house. But it's got very wealthy owners who have turned it kind of into a smart house. With this super intelligent technology, which is kind of at odds with its really old, ancient feel of the building, and that in itself, is like really weird for me. I hate all that really smart technology, and especially in an old building. So, so that kind of takes the book down a different path, um, which really stood out again for me. So, um, so that's all of my recommendations. Hope there's something in there for for everyone.
2: I'm just thinking about that smart technology thing, Jules. Ghosts must love that. They yeah. They must be like,
1: yeah. Yeah, because they They're can play about with it loud with buttons.
2: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I haven't heard of that one.
1: That definitely sounds like one I'll look up. No, I haven't heard of that one either. I well, met often- Ruth um, as well when we went to um, when I went to Theakstons in Harrogate. Um, mm. Alice and Alison Barrow ran a, um, a little party there, and Ruth Ware were there, so it was nice to meet her mm. uh, after reading a book. So, um, yeah.
0: That's great, yeah. thank you. And you've just
1: reminded me of some that I meant
0: to read. Um, I saw so much about Magpie Lane when that was first mm. published and the same yep. with uh, Look and Booth. I, that was that was on my mm-hmm. list, and it's just, you know, my list is
1: in my head a lot of the times. <laughs> so it's off. Yeah. Well, I've called Booth. Yeah, Sorry, Look and Booths really good. Really mm. good. i would definitely, rec- if you're going to choose one as well, I'd, I'd definitely recommend that.
2: I um. bought Look and booth the last time we all went to Manchester. And I think ah, was, yes. I read it in like, I mean, normally I buy stuff and then it sits on my TBR pile for ages. And actually, I read it the next day and I read it in, I think it was one of those I read in 24 hours because mm. it was like, it's just really compelling and the way it's structured because it goes through the the centuries doesn't it Jules and it starts yeah. on the bottom floor yeah. of this tenement building and then goes all the way up to the ninth floor and different generations and different and and it just I don't know it sort of pulls you through you can't mm. stop
1: once you've started reading it So know it's yeah.
3: fascinating I think I'm I'll def- get that one. Yeah, I'm definitely. And I love get the that cover
1: one. as well, with the <laughs> with like the flowers are built round a woman's head, aren't they? Uh, I yeah, think I great. might have the paperback, which is a slightly different cover. Right. It, um, yeah,
2: it's still really it. It's very, it's very dark, but it's the it's the side of dark where there's still that intrigue, and you know, it's not explicitly dark. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. And. So, Rachel, what about you? what What books would you recommend for autumn?
2: Um, so, I think um, I'm going to start with which one, which is my probably my favourite ever ghost story, and and I haven't found one to top it yet. And it's The Woman in Black by Susan Hill, um, which I first encountered when I was doing my GCSEs a long time ago, um, and I think it's a very slender. It's more, it's almost a novella actually, but it. I've never read a ghost story that has made me so terrified (laughs) as Woman in Black. (laughs) Um, and And I've read it hundreds of times now. I remember the first time I read it was on, it was a typical one of those, like, you know, it's, it's autumn, you're in your room, you know, you're in your bedroom, it's windy outside. <laughs> and I even remember what song was playing and I was listening to the radio and um, it sounds a bit bizarre, but Love Me Tender by Elvis Presley was playing on the radio. And it's one of those sort of almost lullaby-like songs, you know, that just sort of really simple tune. And I came to a bit in this book and I absolutely
1: myself (laughs) (laughs) i was going to ask you whether is is it one of those books where um you couldn't read it in your bedroom if you were in the house on your own um possibly it depends on it depends how hard you are but
2: possibly (laughs) um the film is rubbish the film is um, rubbish the film is so nothing (laughs) like the book and it was i was i remember watching the film i've been absolutely horrified the stage play, if you ever get the opportunity to see the stage play, is amazing. It is, yeah. Um, I watched it at I, school. Yeah, well, I think I was at school and it's a two-man show. Brilliant. Um, and it is amazing. So basically the story is it's narrated by a guy called Arthur Kipps, who when we meet him at the beginning is sort of in his mid to sort of middle-aged. Um, he's and it begins on Christmas Eve and now the whole family are telling ghost stories and he steps outside and says I've got a ghost story to tell but it's too horrendous to tell in that setting and then he narrates his ghost story and he recalls as a young solicitor being sent to Criffin Gifford which is a small village up on the northeast coast and it's right on the coast and it's, it's on the edges of a marsh and he goes to attend the funeral of Alice Drablo. And sought out her estate. And she lives in, or had lived, she's just passed away. She lived in Eel Marsh House, which is on the Nine Lives Causeway. And it's in the middle of the marsh. So it's only accessible at certain times of the day. Um, and basically, he starts seeing this woman in black. Um, and at first, he's like, oh, who's this woman? And everyone around him is like, oh, don't talk about that woman. And And just, it's so subtle it's so creepy it's so it it builds tension in a way that I've never had another ghost story has never quite touched for me and it's just absolutely terrifying and but you'll never forget it and I guarantee if you read it once you'll read it more than once because it's it's amazing so so I suppose that's my like gold standard of ghost stories really and it's one I've always been like looking for the next the next one that's going to be as good as, as the woman in black and one that comes a pretty close second to that is sarah waters with the little stranger i don't know if mm-hmm. any of you have read the little I've, stranger I have, yeah really enjoyed it yeah um and that's set post world war two um and it's set in a place called hundred hall and again there's a a Doctor Faraday, so someone from the outside who comes in and is called to the hall to see a servant, and then becomes involved with the family. There's a mother and three and two children, grown-up children, who are living in the hall, and um, and it's one of those books where there's like there's always possible explanations for the things that are happening. And so, for example, for Roderick, the brother, when he starts to really suffer. He's just come back from the war, so is this post-traumatic stress shell shock, or is there something really going on? I mean, I think Sarah Waters is an absolute wonderful author. I mean, I've read everything she's written, and I'm hearing rumours of another Sarah Waters, and I'm Mm. dying. (laughs) Exciting, Um, but I think this one—I know it's not everybody's favourite, but it's one that I really, I remember really, really well. Um, and so so that's definitely one that I would recommend. So those are two sort of past ones. And I think one that I'm definitely going to recommend, and it came out today, is Lucy McKnight Hardy's Dead Relatives.
0: Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Have you read, has anyone else read? I know Emma's read it, but this is a collection of short stories. Well, it's short stories. It's almost a novella, the first one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because It's quite a long story yeah, that's title. Um, the title Dead Relatives and again it came out today and it is just a series of stories that are so creepy <laughs> and unsettling and dark but bloody brilliant yeah um, I mean I think Dead Relatives is my favourite um, and Dead Relatives is a story of the girl whose name has escaped me at the moment. I've just got it in front of me, so I'm just trying to see. Oh, I want to say, what's her name? Yes, Iris, that's right. I want to say Isabel, but it's Iris. Iris is its obviously in Ireland. She's in this house with Mammy. Oh, just that name makes you want to go, <laughs> and the servant. <laughs> and all these ladies arrive to be looked after. And they're clearly unmarried mothers. Um, and Just, I mean, Iris feeds this tree, this dead tree, with things, and oh my goodness, it's it's amazing, and and I and I loved it, um, and I think I'm now about to start Lucy's novel, Water Shall Not Shall Refuse Them, because I'd not read that before. She was right, an author that just wasn't on my radar at all. Oh, I need to get that. Yeah, but but this Jules' dead relatives, oh. You oh, have to get it. It's so amazing. malevolent. It's just so
0: malevolent. It's almost seething, isn't it? With you know. <laughs> it is. <It's>
2: <laughs> the last bit of the last sort of paragraph of dead relatives, I think I, I dropped the book. I went, like, ah, <laughs> sort of like, God, get it away or oh, no, give it back. I want to find out what goes on next.
1: So, so those are my sort of my three choices. Well, I've written all those down, and, <laughs> and you know, I almost bought the entire back catalogue of Sarah Waters' books of the other day and then I couldn't bring myself to do it because I've oh. just got to... but because I've the only one that I've read is The Paying Guests, which I absolutely loved. Oh, if um,
2: you've not
1: read any of the others, God, you are... No, it's like, yeah. <laughs> because Fingersmith is another one that I know, um, like, Sarah Winman and Cathy Rensenbrink both love Sarah yeah. Waters and I know Fingersmith and I think Little Strangers is... Um, on, on their list as well but Fingersmith as well and yeah, yeah. Oh, I, um, there's the just Night too Watch. many books
2: The Night Watch is another one of hers which is amazing yes. as well so I've heard um, yeah. uh, and Affinity if we're looking for creepy ones Affinity is a definitely a creepy one right
1: okay yeah so no Jules you you, you should <sighs> treat yourself it's <up> your birthday too <laughs> I've just yeah, well I know but I've just bought <laughs> three books today so <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, while well, I'm waiting for the
2: haunting season to come I've got it on pre-order, which is out today isn't it the um the, oh, the collection the, uh, of short stories the collection of st- short stories and I was hoping having it on pre-order it might arrive today,
3: but it hasn't Oh no if it'll then. come just in time for Halloween for you. uh if it come in time for half term that would be better. <laughs> Okay, so my first recommendation is A Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I don't know if anyone has read it. Um, I read it in the summer, but it is a perfect Halloween, creepy season read. It follows Naomi as the main character, and she's very glamorous, and she's always at parties and surrounded by lots of rich and famous people and she receives a letter from her cousin, who is newly married. And the letter doesn't make sense. It's all frantic. It's not how she would normally correspond with her. Um, And the family where she lives, it's a a husband's family, are worried about her. So Naomi heads straight, straight to where she's staying, living. Um, to find out what's wrong and the place it kind of got a theme with these creepy houses the place where uh, her cousin Catalina lives is called High Place and it's in the mountains in Mexico and it's it is secluded obviously it's hard to get to without a car it's, it's cut off from the rest of town and when she finds her cousin um, the stuff that her cousin tells her is quite troubling and it doesn't really make any sense um. And so Naomi is trying to figure out exactly what is wrong with her because she doesn't believe the doctor's diagnosis, essentially. And the longer that she stays in the house, she starts to have very weird dreams. That The dreams involve the house and the house is always in the dark. They never put the lights on. Things are covered up. There's paintings which are covered with big, heavy drapes. Um, she hears things that aren't explainable. Um, and she's then in danger of being also stuck in the house, and I can't really say any more without giving giving it away. Um, but you won't look at a mushroom in the same way again. <laughs> <laughs> Hate mushrooms anyway. So, <laughs> um, but it, it's really good. It builds to a, a, it's 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 got one of those slow builds and then suddenly it all just kicks off and happens and it's quite dramatic but it's it's quite gross in in places towards the end but it's very clever how the house sort of it contains them and they dream about the house and she hears things and there's things in the walls that she can see and she doesn't know if she's dreaming or if it's real it's very clever Mm. um but it's it's a it's a good one if you like creepy houses and that gothic i've not heard of that one at all actually it's, it's really good um i haven't quite read anything like it before because it's not it's not a haunted house in in how you think it's going to be when you start reading it it's got a very very dark <laughs> reason as to why this house is so awful
1: intriguing
3: but oh, it, it is very I'd, I'd recommend it. I I haven't read anything else by the author, but um, this wouldn't had encouraged me to to head back to the other books that she's written. Fabulous. Um, and my other recommendation isn't Halloweeny really. Um, it's more autumnal maybe that's to do with the cover and also because I read it in the autumn but it's Once Upon a River by Diane Setterfield which I think both of you have read yeah Yeah. it's brilliant Um, yeah and it isn't set in the autumn is it but it's it has that autumnal feel it's it's by the by the river it's in a pub that's they're always gathered together as locals it has like that kind of autumnal
2: it's got that very sort of organic feeling to it.
3: Yeah it? I think that's why it feels autumnal is is a lot of it is set outside. You're on the river quite a lot, obviously. Um and I think actually it has that kind of sort of supernatural element to it because the this isn't giving anything away, but the little girl that comes into the um pub that night is dead and then she's alive. So there is yeah. a supernatural element to it and how people see her and how they make it. people how she makes people feel is kind of like a collective feeling but they she looks different to everyone which I thought was really interesting um it has kind of like folk Laurie tailness to it doesn't it um mm, very definitely yeah but I really enjoyed it um I haven't read anything by Diane Setterfield before but I'd quite like to delve into her backlist as well because she's got quite a few books hasn't she, mm.
1: she i has. Have, i have read one of her other ones and the name escapes me i'll google it while you're talking but um yeah i loved but the other one the, as well the, is it the 13th that's the one tale. 13th tale, tale. Yeah, yeah that's the one and i yeah. read
2: another one of hers which oh, the blackberry is... one yeah oh, something is. about Some... black it's yeah. about um oh can't remember the name of it that's awful i'll have to look it up but it but it that that's more gothic actually um and really good the thing i really loved about once upon a river is it's the only historical novel i've ever ever read which refers to somebody with down syndrome
1: yeah hmm. that's the point yeah never
2: th- never actually thought about that um and you know and in a po- really positive way yeah um and actually you know, there are not many characters in historical novels mm. that deal with people with with additional needs. And, and, I, and I loved that about Once Upon a River. And that's why I've recommended
1: it to lots yeah. of people. Bellman and Black is the other one. That's it. No, yeah, something
2: in black. Bellman and Black. Yeah, no, yeah. I read that in the summer. Yeah.
3: Well, I'll add that to my list, actually, because I really enjoyed Once Upon a River. Mm. Thirteenth Tales really good as well. Yeah. I'll add them all to my list. I'll go and do what Jules is doing and just buy everything at the end of it. <laughs> um, oh. my last recommendation, it's not really a recommendation, but it's just something that I want to read whilst it's um coming to Halloween. And I don't know if any of you have read it, is Wakenhurst by Michelle Paver. I haven't.
1: I haven't. I've heard lots of people no. raving about
3: it, yeah. Um. Yeah, it sounds pretty creepy it's set in a Edwardian Suffolk manor house and there's a graveyard and there's witchcraft and legends and yeah it's 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 a gothic thriller spanning five centuries so it's out yeah um but yeah um it looks like a good one for Halloween so that is Mm -hmm. on my list but it may now get bumped after all your recommendations
1: (laughs) and now now that you've just mentioned halloween we have of course already discussed will dean's books numerous times but we will give another shout out to will dean i think because all of his books are fabulous and kind of um set in that kind of cold swedish environment aren't though it's very kind of halloweeny feel especially in the last one bad apples so
3: i've not read um, it yet but um the black river was creepy i mean that's yes oh it just you just don't think like things can get worse for poor tuver (laughs) they just they do in every book like she deals with some crap yeah (laughs) definitely actually one that i've just
2: read and it's not it's um the manning tree witches Oh, is that good? I'd it It's like... amazing. I, I read it. It took me a while because I read it when I was poorly. Um, and it's not a very long book. It wouldn't normally take me that long, but it, I just was reading it piece by piece. But it's about the Essex witch trials. Ah. Um, and it's so well written and, and actually very funny in places, which sounds, you know, about witchcraft and tr- witch trials, but actually it's about strong women and there's mm. some really good humour in it um, but no I would definitely recommend that The Man in Tree Witches and again it's not in the room with me so the name of the person who wrote it escapes me but I will look it up but that was really good and I've also just read The Whistling read Oh the- I've just started that today right. Rebecca Nettling which again if you like that set in Spooky House Island of Scotland Ooh. you know again that sort of isolated um, sort of, and there's a nat. she is a nanny and there's the children i mean a lot of it goes back to that turn of the screw thing
1: doesn't it yeah. and, you know, i was gonna say just how many books um with like we've mentioned quite a few there that are like set in a house with a nanny mm-hmm. i wonder why, or, I wonder or... why it's creepy houses and nannies are uh, like and a it's spooky the children kind of. thing as well isn't yeah, it the idea that, yeah that
2: spirits attach themselves to children Mm. Um, i mean that's very prevalent in the woman in black that's very prevalent in the whistling very prevalent in the little stranger you know it's and i think if you go back to henry james's turn of the screw that was the first sort of ghost story with a nanny and the two children wasn't it
3: yeah
1: yeah and while you mentioned witches as well i'm just going to give a shout out to cunning women by elizabeth lee as well because absolutely yeah Amazing. that was a good one that i read and um yeah the, people are gonna end up with lists as long as their arms aren't they from yeah. like, listening to <laughs> listening to us so.
3: <laughs> the um no. cj um tudor as well does some they're not Ooh, yeah but they are creepy books yeah um i haven't read any of those I have oh it's really good um they're quite dark but they're what was the first one called the chalk Chalkman. The yeah yeah it was brilliant yeah. Yeah, yeah really really, really good. good it was good how it moved like from the past back to when they were kids to the current day like it's it's really good um and I think for me it's it were kind of um I'm kind of like a
1: late 70s early 80s kid so and it were that kind of era wasn't it so it yeah were, um, it, going around know, on it, their little
3: bikes at the fun yeah party. that's it
1: yeah very <laughs> reminiscent for me that yeah God.
3: something like when you see when like a, a stick chalk man is not creepy but then i imagine if like you've seen them everywhere it's it is creepy like it's yeah taking something that is not you wouldn't even think twice about and it you are like oh gosh that's horrible it's really good rachel i think you'd enjoy it right that's another one gone on to
2: the list then i'm just sat here surrounded by books <laughs> 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 and adding more to the pile as we speak. I'm about to after water shall refuse them. The next one I've got on my list is what wh- White is for witching.
1: Oh, mm. I've not heard of that. no I haven't. Um
2: which is oh I can never say her name. I'm gonna mash this terribly. Helen Ayimi. She wrote the she wrote, uh, was it gingerbread? Was it gingerbread? I want to say I don't know. Anyway, it's really good. It looks really good. I think somebody recommended it to me on Twitter the other night when I was talking about spooky books. So
0: Mm, Brilliant. (sighs) There we go. So I'm just going to add a few more recommendations to that already huge pile of uh, fantastic sounding books. So my first recommendation is a ghost story and it's called Haverscroft, and it's by S.A. Harris and it's published by S.A.L.T. I think it came out in 2019 and it's billed as a modern ghost story. So I'll just read the back of it to you. So Kate Keeling leaves all she knows and moves to Haverscroft House in an attempt to salvage her marriage. Little does she realise Haverscroft's dark secrets will drive her to question her sanity, her husband and fatally engulf her family unless she can stop the past repeating itself can kate keep her children safe and escape haverscroft in time even if it will end her marriage so haverscroft is a gripping and chilling dark tale a modern ghost story that will keep you turning its pages late into the night so i have to admit i'm not very hardcore when it does come to ghost stories um and when this came out book twitter was full of people talking about how they couldn't sleep and you know it was one of those that you shouldn't read um alone in your bedroom at night but actually I was fine with it and really pleased that I did manage it um it's it's really good so it's about this professional couple um who've got twins and they move to a village in Norfolk to patch up their marriage and to repair this house but obviously things start to go wrong the house is full of mysteries um you know, there's lots of flickering light bulbs and knocking in the walls and everything. So it's all about uh, Kate, the protagonist, trying to solve the mysteries uh, in her marriage and also in the house. So it's it's super. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend that if you enjoy ghost stories. Um, and then finally, but they're linked. Um, so I absolutely love short stories um and i love stories about witches and women who are misunderstood that type of thing so there's a book which uh, caught my eye last year and it's called hag and it's forgotten folktales retold uh published by virago and basically um so uh, a well-known short story and novel writers from um the british isles were charged with uh, retelling a folktale from the area they live in so there's writers like Daisy Johnson, uh, Emer McBride, Kirsty Logan, you know Naomi Booth and so each of them was given a, um, a folktale from their area and and they had to come up with a modern version of it um and I, I love them. They're, they're really, really well written, really beautiful and, and they stay with you. So I'd read them last year and as autumn approached, I've, I've taken them down off my shelf and I'm really enjoying rereading them. So at the back of the book, there's a little bit about each author um, and there's beautiful uh, pen and ink drawings included in there as well. You know, There's a picture for each uh, folktale. And as well as that, there is the original tale that the, um, the writers were given to come up with their their new stories. So that's that's really really good. I Recommend that. And and if you enjoy that kind of thing, which I really do, there's an, an another similar book called Foxfire, Wolfskin, and um other stories of shape shifting women. And this is by Sharon Blackie, and um, these are myths and fairy tales from across Europe so similar to hag but this time it's sort of European wide and there's stories from Croatia Sweden Ireland and lots of stories about shape-shifting women and I absolutely loved it beautifully written highly recommend it so there's um my recommendations so I'm sure there's something in there for everybody I hope you've enjoyed that section and stay tuned because we have um, an interview coming up with Amanda Mason, who has a spooky book which has just been published. So stay tuned for that.
2: Today, we are absolutely delighted to be welcoming Amanda Mason to the Northern Connection. Amanda's second novel The Hiding Place was published last week and it has already commanded rave reviews and follows her 2019 debut debut, The Wayward Girls. Amanda's bio tells of a varied and rich life story including living and working across northern Europe and performing in a comedy street magic act. With a bio that intriguing we can't wait to find out more. Welcome Amanda to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me this is a pleasure. Oh. Lovely, thank you so much for having us, Amanda. Whereabouts are you based?
4: I'm based um, in North Yorkshire. I was born and brought up in Whitby, um, and I've lived, as you mentioned in your introduction, in different places. Um, but I moved back to the UK about nine or ten years ago, and I lived in New York for a while. But uh, quite recently, I moved back back to my hometown for sort of various personal reasons, just in time for lockdown. <laughs> Excellent fun. Everybody there are worse concerned.
2: places to be locked down than Whitby,
4: I would imagine. Sorry, I just got a distracting message on my computer. Can you say <laughs> that? I said there are probably worse places to be locked down than Whitby. It was extraordinary. I've never seen it so, so peaceful, so quiet. To be able to walk, you know, down the piers and just not to see anyone else. Or... It was it was quite an interesting experience, yes. Wow.
0: Wonderful. so um, your second novel which is called The Hiding Place was published last week can you tell us a little bit about that please The
4: Hiding Place in the title actually refers to the practice of hiding objects concealed objects in um, ritual magic and superstition so the original idea as I I was aware of this practice if you're kind of interested in odd things like I am then you become sort of vaguely aware of the very strange things that people do. And I knew, because my friend has one, that there's um, a tradition of hiding shoes in buildings for luck. And I just thought that was quite an interesting um, starting place. I actually wrote a short story based around this idea of, of hiding a shoe for luck. And when that really, the, sh- the short story didn't really get placed anywhere because I think it had a lot in it, it had too many ideas in it. And when I knew I was going to write a second novel, I thought I would just revisit that idea a little bit. Um, And so, The Hiding Place is about a family who come to a town which is essentially Whitby, even though it's not named in the book, but it's very clearly based on Whitby. Um, The mum in the family, or rather the stepmum, is a local girl. She's been born and brought up here and she's bringing her family back. They're coming back for a a family party. They're going to take advantage of the fact that they haven't been here for a long time and they're quite well off and they're able to hire um, a rather beautiful but quite sort of forbidding house in one of the many yards that Whitby has. And and they find something. They find something hidden in it and then they do the one thing you should never do which is mess around with something like that when you find it, and so it's the consequences of them of finding this um, what what was once to somebody a
0: magical object. Wow, sounds brilliant!
2: <laughs> it is brilliant. I can I can vouch for that having read it. Thank you. Where do your ideas come from? Um, is it the setting that comes first, or is it the character, or a combination, or something completely different? It's a combination
4: really, I think. They tend to sort of run neck and neck. It's probably character first and foremost. When I started thinking about changing the story and developing the short story and developing it into the novel, um, it was the character of Nell that I was kind of most interested in. And at first, she was quite um, prickly and difficult and unpleasant And I kind of enjoyed that about her, but then I realised it would be more interesting to take somebody who was in quite a happy and optimistic place and do something to her, to to make everything Mm -hmm. sort of, to take her world apart a little bit. So it started with her, and then it moved into her relationship with her husband and her stepdaughter, and then Maud comes along as the stepdaughter. So that becomes another interesting character that I wanted to write about. And then I I needed to place them somewhere interesting.
2: Maud really stuck out for me, actually, as a character in the book. I think you know the white the, and that sort of teenage girl, or just the almost teenage girl, with all of that anxiety and confrontation, and and that idea that that something strange might attach itself to a teenage girl as a motif was really quite strong in there. Was was that a deliberate action?
4: Yes I mean I was quite conscious that I've already written a book with teenage girls in it so I did want her to be different and I think she's different um, but she's vulnerable I think and she's vulnerable because of the choices the adults around her have made and she's vulnerable because of her own flaws and then she's vulnerable because they take her into this house and it's her response to the house. Which is where the thing about then, you, you mm. for me, it's character and place kind of neck and neck. So you've got this family who have their tensions and then they're in the house and the house itself is not a good place. And there are two responses. And um, Nell's response is instinctive of not really liking it very much. But then it's not like the kind of house she grew up in. Um, she's grown up in quite an ordinary sort of a, a council house, just like I did. And and this is... um she's become quite successful so she's kind of moved up and out of her class in a way um and so she's her reaction to the house is she's not as enamored of it as everybody else is and Maud is not just enamored of it but she likes the secrets that the house holds and um going back to the thing of you know concealed objects and magical markings in buildings when Maud sees that because she's vulnerable and because she's right on the edge of things as you're saying Rachel she Mm -hmm. She's drawn to it um, like lots of, lots of girls that age. I, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of, sort of women listening to this who, who can recall, you know, you watch the craft or you think it would be fun to be powerful because you don't have any power in any other respect in your life. So it's very, very tempting to have a secret and for that secret to become powerful or to give you a sense of power anyway. Mm,
2: definitely. Yeah, no, I think that's really, really pertinent.
0: Yeah, both your books um have a strong supernatural theme so um it, it, are these the type of books that you're drawn to as a reader yourself um and and if so what what supernatural tales by other writers would you recommend
4: yeah I write them I write them because that's what I like to read and I've always I, I read a lot and I read a lot growing up um but I've always particularly liked uh, gothic fiction or supernatural fiction um' It's just it's comforting and it's appealing and it's there's lots of strong emotions attached to it for me. Um, In terms of authors, I'd recommend I love Shirley Jackson. She's one of my favourites. I love Michelle Paver's ghost stories. I particularly like Dark Matter, which I think is, is. is brilliant. And it does this sort of double whammy thing of being quite a particular period piece about sort of explorers in the 1930s and all the sort of tensions between this group of men and just being flat out terrifying as a ghost story. It's brilliant. I just absolutely love her. Um, I like Edith Wharton's short stories. There are lots of good contemporary short stories, writers as well. Um, Sorry, well, Gothic fiction writers. I love Laura Purcell's work. Um, I liked um, Jess Kidd's The Hoarder in particular. which again has that kind of mixture of the fantastical because she has characters who can see ghosts but there's also um, a real kind of gothic sorrow in the real sort of situation that the characters are in there's lots of very very interesting stuff being done I think at the minute um so it's quite interesting I, I do like trying to catch up on it but it's a constant battle to read as much as I want to read if you see what I mean absolutely
2: yeah i think we all feel that i think we all feel that constant battle to read as much as you'd like to read and there's always another thing and another thing and another thing um you'll never go you, you i think i have to accept you're going to go to your grave not having read everything you ever want to read i think that, that's <laughs> I took, kind of where we are i made a big effort to teach myself not to
4: uh read while i was eating oh, no, i know i've just abandoned that i just thought, oh, <laughs> come on what else you life's too to short do? Yeah, just just get a book out as well. You can probably do this.
2: (laughs) That's very helpful. (laughs) Absolutely. So we've touched on this, but you have had various jobs and careers before becoming a published writer. How Mm. long have you actually been writing for? Is that something that's always been in the background of your life or in the foreground Um, of your life? I think it's probably
4: been in the background for longer. I, um, technically, I started writing when I was sort of 1920-ish because I was a student and I was studying theatre and I was studying acting and directing. But the way I directed was I would work with actors and then I would take their improvisations and I'd sort of sculpt a script. So I'd, I would then write a script and direct it. Um, And then I became a teacher and I continued because my specialism with kids was drama. So I continued writing drama, you know, school plays and um, drama club plays and performances like that. So it it kind of got funneled into my day job for a very, very long time. And it was only when I came back to the UK, uh, which was what, 2011, that I was living in York and I didn't really know anybody there outside of um supply teaching which wasn't really you know a way to make friends anyway um and I just decided I would do a short story course which is just thought I, I signed up for it and then absolutely was horrified because I realized I would have to write short stories <laughs> <laughs> The, <in> the title. <laughs> um but I did that and I just just everything just really clicked and, and made sense and um So I started writing short stories, and then the same tutor, brilliant academic and novelist called Sophie Colombo, ran another course which was to do with which was novel writing, and I thought, okay, right, we'll crack on with that as well. And so, technically, I've only been writing seriously for adults, short stories and novels, for about what eight or nine years. so I came to it fairly late in life. It was um, it was a big surprise when it all started to work. It was great. I was very <laughs> pleased.
0: Fantastic. And do you, is there? Do you prefer short stories, or do you prefer? I mean, are, are novels your thing, or do you just like to mix it up a little bit be, between the two of them?
4: I think novels are my thing. I like writing short stories, but I tend to write quite long short stories, mm-hmm. um, which is a bit of a giveaway. I feel. <laughs> um, and and I have I think I have the temperament for novels in yeah. that I'm willing to make the effort to hold it all um, sort of in my head emotionally all the all the sort of rhythms and the beats and things it's 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 an odd way to describe it you have to be able to kind of keep a hold of everything all at once yeah and I'm and I feel I can do that with novels and I like being able to write around characters so you can have i quite like head hopping and there's more space for that in novels than there is in a short story um I like I think it's good practice to write short stories I think it gives you um a respect for a word count and it gives yeah. you I I enjoy um concise writing mm-hmm. and I like when short stories force you to try to be concise but um I I've spent more time writing novels than short stories over the past four years, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's great. So apart from supernatural and gothic fiction, what other types of novels or writing do you enjoy um, reading yourself?
4: I, I like a lot of... I try and keep up with a lot of contemporary fiction. I like domestic noir. I like thrillers. Mm-hmm. I quite liked, I used to really enjoy police procedures. Like when I was in sort of my early 20s, I used to love the Ed McBain books, you know, the 87th Precinct ones, where they were just characters you would revisit again and again and again, but in different sort of mysteries yeah. and different scenarios. And some characters would come to the fore and other characters would sort of meld into the background. Um, I discovered the Cazalet Chronicles in lockdown because everyone <laughs> was there. <laughs> so, <you> see, yeah, <laughs> wow. Um, I know. I was being, it was the only time. I'd always seen them like you sort of go on book Twitter and you see people talking about them and I they'd always kind of vaguely logged them and then I had to, I was unlike well like a lot of people in lockdown I was struggling a bit and I couldn't read anything I'd already read for some reason and I've got a lot of books but I couldn't settle to books I really loved and so I thought right okay we'll do the caslets and I just absolutely welled my way through those that was wonderful
2: they're like uh, a big fluffy jumper aren't they yes just sort of, they're like a they're like everything, you know. There's just this. No, they're they're amazing books. I mean, I think the fifth one is very dif- problematic because it was written so much later, yeah. and I don't think it's as anywhere near as good as the others. And 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 I think, you know, she was probably she seems quite mixed up in some of the stories, by the yeah. time she got to the fifth one, but actually they are just the most amazing books. Have you read the author her autobiography? No, no, oh. I've read.
4: Is it, was it Mr.? I've read The Caselets and I think I've read, is it Mr. Wright or The Visit or possibly even both? I I've read, read two read,
2: standalone ones. I haven't read that one, but actually, if you get the chance, and I I, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, and I will let you know, I'll, I'll oh, send yeah. you a message. But yeah. if you, Ma, um, no, I can't remember the name of it, but Slipstream, that's what it's called, Slipstream. Uh, right, yeah. And it's her autobiography, but it really gives you a whole new insight into lots of the characters and actually three of the female characters take parts of her life okay Um, and it's fascinating it's really fascinating emma have you read it i haven't no
0: i have haven't but i've seen so much about them on book twitter recently and you know i just they're on my list (laughs) yeah no they definitely
2: they need to be on your list they
0: really
4: do yeah and i quite like um i like golden age detective fiction i like um quite like funny fiction as well have you read um AJ Pierce Dear Mrs Bird no I yes so, I, but,
1: have, yeah. I have oh, I haven't
2: I've, read I've, the second one although I've got it on my on my pile um but I haven't read the yeah, second one that's
4: that's on my to be read list I just I've read I read it before lockdown I read it when it first came out and then during lockdown during second lockdown I read it And it's just really funny and it's just really charming and the characters just spring to life on the page. I love that. I love, um, and it's it's funny in the same way that I Capture the Castle is funny. It's that kind of innocent, the the narrator who's quite innocent but also she's not daft. She's a little bit blunt as well in the end because she sees how silly people can be essentially. And she's kind but she doesn't really tolerate people's silliness. Um yeah. so yeah, it I, I love stuff like that. That kind of um that an innocent voice coming of age kind of just gently poking fun at the world. And it's just I find it um I find it very refreshing and comforting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely.
0: Do you do you have an all time favourite book?
4: Yeah. Um, I do. <laughs> it's terrible. And no, it's not terrible. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. My all-time favourite book is um probably I've got three, but it's probably I can um The Haunting of Hill House by yeah. Shirley Jackson. Yeah. Um, because it's just an extraordinary piece of writing. It's it's really frightening. I won't read it in bed because it scares <laughs> me. It gets it's no, it's not that it scares me, it's that it gets in my head. There's something deeply deeply disturbing about the book she writes a house that has been constructed and none of the angles on the walls are right and the effect on the people that go in it is it's it kind of makes them almost spiritually queasy and she somehow manages to affect the same thing with the book in that you read it and it kind of gets in your head and it worries you. and it's it's not a long novel and it's got an incredible lightness of touch in terms of how she describes the characters and there's only for the majority of the book there's only four people in the house um and how they interact and they're kind of shifting allegiances and constantly constantly the presence of this house that is absolutely evil and the book itself in terms of what happens to the protagonist it's just it's unflinching and completely devastating it's it's Ter- what happens to the characters is actually genuinely terrible in a true sense mm. of the word, um but it's brilliantly written, and I just think it's the most astonishing novel. um It's not, I grant you, a cheery book, and it's not exactly <laughs> the only book you could ever take to you to a desert island, which is why I always say I've got maybe three or four favourite books, but but Hill House is the one I think it's just got. And just her writing, all her writing, her writing in her other novels, which is superb, and the writing in the columns that she used to do. She she had the two sort of personas. She had the Hill House, Shirley Jackson, weird fiction person. But she also used to write columns on her life as the wife of a you know Bennington professor and bringing up her children. It was very much kind of mummy blogging. And there's a real sort of, again, it's the same quality in her writing it's an eye for detail it's an eye for the right phrase and the ear for sort of character and intonation she was such a wonderful wonderful writer so yes that's my favorite book
2: thank you that's amazing thank you <laughs> so now that restrictions are lifting slightly um i know that you've been talking to us before we, we came on about um the um east rising east riding festival that you've just been at are there are you doing any more events based in the north
4: um not particularly really everything's still very quiet i think so as you were saying i was at beverly at the east riding festival of words last weekend and the festival's continuing i believe until i think the 23rd 24th uh, with other writers obviously going along um i am doing an event at the whitney bookshop on friday the 22nd where we're having a launch but it's very gentle it's more of a push than a launch um (laughs) we're not going to have lots of rows of seats and we're not going to have me doing a reading or anything like that because as you say you know it's things aren't really back to normal yet so um what we'll probably do is uh, well what we're going to do is we're going to have kind of like an open house it's like an at home except the home is the bookshop um, and people can come along between six and eight o'clock and I'll be there. And you can come and look at the book and you can come and look at the shop and you have a glass of wine. You can have, apparently, I've been told there's going to be raspberry blondies, which oh. is a reference to
2: people who've actually read the book. If there is raspberry blondies in the book, definitely.
4: Because <laughs> somebody always always makes too many of them. Um, <laughs> With I mean, an
2: ulterior motive, I believe. <laughs> <laughs>
4: and um goodness knows I'm desperately trying to think what else did I put in the book that people ate I'm thinking not a seafood risotto please <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that would be quite a, that would be quite um an interesting thing to rock up to a book launch a seafood it? risotto <laughs> yeah. um but
4: that's pretty much the only thing at the minute um but you know if someone else wanted me to go to their bookshop <laughs> and talk <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh yes yeah, so, i would
4: totally do that because you know it's quite listening. a lonely life for two years <laughs> writing away and talking to yourself and then you get let out for about a
0: fortnight <laughs> um yeah. afterwards it's very exciting Can't <laughs> tell you. oh well hopefully somebody hope somebody listening will um get in touch and and, and want you to come to their bookshop
4: <laughs> i'd love that i love bookshops <laughs>
2: Oh. don't we all yeah. okay well thank you so much for talking to us amanda that's been it's been lovely and i hope the book absolutely flies because it certainly deserves to it's a it's a brilliant um follow-on to the wayward girls and has all of all of the same qualities of, of being unsettling and downable. so thank you very much for talking to us this evening thank you thank Bye. you both it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you
0: Well, that's it for this month. We really hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and you can follow us on Twitter at NorthernConPod and on Instagram at The Northern Connection. Next month, we will be focusing exclusively on books, authors, and publishers that have a northern connection, and we really hope you'll join us.